0: Welcome back to the next episode, actually episode
1: 17
0: of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. I'm Dustin.
1: And I'm Lakeisha.
0: And I am super excited for this one, as here we are on the first day of October. Not only do I get to talk about the first winter ale of the season, (laughs) we also get to talk about one of my favorite movies, another big favorite of mine. They've been threatening to do it for a little while. It's its 35th anniversary. So here we are. We just watched it. Star Trek II.
1: The Wrath of Khan.
0: Or as I like to call it, the best Star Trek movie.
1: I will agree with you that of the original Star Treks, this is the best movie.
0: Of all the Star Treks, I believe this is the best movie.
1: I feel like this could definitely pull our podcast off direction. This is true. So we will we get table, off the rails pretty quickly. We will table that argument.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> but before we get into movie talk, we each picked out a couple of beers that we're having right now. Uh, as we get into the movie discussion, and I always forget who goes first this week. Is that you or me?
1: I think it's me.
0: Okay. Well, I know you got an IPA.
1: Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah i got an ipa i did um i got the hoodoo voodoo ipa by three creeks brewing uh three creeks brewing is out of sisters oregon and i was first introduced to this uh brewery because i enjoy going skiing at hoodoo with a good friend of mine yeah and um this is a great when you go down to the lodge they have three creeks brewing there and so I've had this beer uh, before, but I saw it and I was like, I like it. And given the title of your beer, yeah. I feel like these things are linked.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes. This is, there's something to that.
1: So, um, I, again, the Hoodoo Voodoo IPA, Three Creeks Brewing. Three Creeks Brewing was founded in 2008, mm-hmm. so they just celebrated their ninth year in existence. So, Congratulations. Um, they have several beers, uh, that are both year round and then they do a a whole bunch of, um, seasonal beers and then they have specialty beers and they have, you know, so they do the full rotation. Um, but Hoodoo Voodoo is one of their main trail beers. So just means that it's year round. Right. Um, and it's pretty good. It is a, um, an IPA that's, you know, 82 IBUs. So pretty hoppy yeah um and this is a classic northwest india pale ale which they say features a chewy malt character chewy and, yes and i would agree with that you can definitely it, it tastes like maybe you chew on it for a little while that perfectly balances the explosion of grapefruit hop flavor and aroma courtesy of generous additions of columbus centennial and liberty hops it's a lot it is a lot um, and given that I've really been into things that are made with mosaic. Right. That's um, the best. This is slightly a different flavor, but it is still really good. And it's something I enjoy drinking um, when I'm taking a break from the slopes.
0: Yeah. Well, that uh, when it comes to slopes, it fits in with what I am drinking. I am drinking a brewery from Bend, Oregon, from my old stop and grounds. From 10 Barrel Brewing, I am having a Pray for Snow winter ale which is funny because i don't ski at all i've been skiing twice (laughs) in my life and that's more than enough for me but uh, i do love a good winter ale uh as i've mentioned a bunch of times on the podcast before i used to live over in central oregon and i can remember when 10 barrel when they built that first uh their first brew pub in town and i can remember that they used to be called something else and i was having trouble remembering it so i actually texted my good friend travis Still lives over in that area, and they used to be known called uh, Wildfire Brewing. If you won't find any of this on their website, so this is just all interesting. Yeah, and they used to uh, before they built their own brew pub. You could only they were pouring it at a place called JC's. C's long, uh, long-standing establishment in Benz. um, and but the website says that Ten Barrel started in 2006, so I don't know if that means when they went with the name Tin Barrel. as I as The story went that they that there was some other wildfire brewing that, you know, they actually had that name. They couldn't use it anymore. How? So they switched to Tin Barrel. Started by three guys back in 2006. I th- At least one of those guys is an Oregon State University graduate. Uh, my friend Jack, who was a fundraiser for Oregon State, would come to Bend all the time and he'd always go visit Tin Barrel. Try to get money out of him. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, but anyway, pray for snow is I like winter ales because uh, they are a good dark beer, but they also tend to have a bit more bite to them than like a porter. So like this, ha- this is like is that seventy or seventy-five IBUs in it? Mm-hmm. So which is typically more than your your dark beer. Yeah. Um, really, and also one percent of the of the profits from pray for from the all sales for pray for snow this year is going to a charity called uh POW, which in this instance stands for Protect Our Winters. Ooh. And it is an organization um about mobilizing the outdoor sports community against uh climate change. Excellent. Uh, so yeah, it's about started by a snowboarder who started noticing that all these uh places he used to go uh snowboarding at, more and more of them would be closed because they didn't have enough snow. And that's kind of what got him into you know Dealing with the, the science of climate change and started this organization that the money from the Pray for Snow beer is going to go to. Also, if you look up uh, Pray for Snow on the 10 Barrel website, it says, and I don't know if they actually, this is true or a joke. It says, the 10 Barrel Powder Policy. If more than six inches fall at Mount Bachelor, which is the big mountain over in Central Oregon, you are excused from work. We've had this policy in place since 2006 so if they have a bunch of snow up on the mountain I guess nobody mans the taps at the (laughs) at the brewery brewery.
1: it's closed for the day closed
0: for the day I don't know but anyway pray for snow winter ale from Tin Barrel Brewing uh cool little place there's actually two locations in Bend now according to the website there's two there's also one in San Diego Denver one in Portland which we've been to has the cool rooftop bar so yeah they've expanded a bit uh since back then they may be owned by a, a certain beer corporate entity now, which did not make some people terribly happy. Yeah. But you know, what are you gonna do? So anyway, I highly recommend pray for snow if you're looking for something to warm yourself up during the uh, as we get into the colder months.
1: All right. Well, while you were talking, yeah. I used my good friend Google. Uh-huh. To let me know that they had to change their name in 2008. Wildfire ah. Brewing, um, was told that their name violated copyright laws by the Wildfire Restaurants, which was a chain of eateries with locations in Illinois, Minnesota, Virginia, and Georgia. So rather than um, take the issue to court or fight it, the um, owners decided, ah, we'll just change our names.
0: And I think for the better. I think think Tin Barrel is a more original-sounding name than just Wildfire.
1: It was, but then they sold out to corporate interests so right now it doesn't matter.
0: It's still a good name. They came up with that before they sold out to corporate interests.
1: Yeah. But now it yeah, belongs so. to corporate interests. You know it's what, still you, a good beer. Don't, don't worry about beer. it. <laughs> all yeah. right. So let's get into our movie. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> Can't wait. Okay. So before we get into all the details of Star Trek to The Wrath of Spoiler alert for a 35-year-old movie. We'll, uh, <laughs> we're going to each go over the three things that were like our favorite bits or coolest parts. The three things we enjoyed the most about the movie. And we won't spare your ears from any plot details or spoiler stuff. We will talk about anything and or everything that uh, we feel is relevant to the things that we liked. And so, you're first.
1: Okay. So, I, I must admit... I know that this is probably going to shock you because I don't think I've ever told you this before. Uh This is probably only the second time I think I've seen this movie.
0: I was wondering that as we were watching it because you know I've seen it so many times that nothing surprises me, and even though like the funny parts are still funny to me, I don't laugh because I you know I know. But you laughed several times during the course of this movie, as so it sounded like it was maybe some of the stuff was maybe the first time you had seen it. Or maybe just had been a long time.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is only the second time that I've seen this movie. So, um, and there's not any particular reason why. I just never really have. Um, I'm not a huge Shatner fan. So even though uh, I definitely look at the original Star Trek series as, you know, definitely iconic and, um, you know, was a real trailblazer for the genre of sci-fi which is one of my favorite genres um it is not something that i have watched a whole lot of so so that being said one of the things i really really like about this movie um is ricardo montalban um i think he's a great actor i think he makes a great villain he's he just makes a really really good villain with his single-mindedness and hurting kirk I mean, he even says it, He's, he killing him is the second best option, you know? The first thing is hurting him. Um, and I like that because he talked about, and he, he really reflected on this in terms of just his acting in general, but he always says a good villain doesn't see himself as villainous. They might do villainous things, but in their mind it's, a, it's justified. It's, it's for the right reasons. And so, uh, you can definitely see that in his actions here. You know, he thinks he is, um, paying Kirk back for the harm done to him and for the, you know, for his, um, people being marooned on a, on a planet that then subsequently gets just torn apart and is almost, you know, desolate after another planet nearby explodes. Mm -hmm. So So I yeah so I thought he was really good. I thought it was really interesting that during the course of this movie, he is never actually face to face with Kirk.
0: Right. They're not. Yeah. They never share the same. Yeah. They're always talking over the radio or through the video. Whatever. Yeah.
1: Through the screen, the communication screen. And I just thought that is so good. That really worked. How often nowadays do you have villains and heroes battling each other? But from a distance, that they never yeah. actually connect face to face, or never in the you
0: same know, room. Or yeah, anything, have yeah. that
1: final duel, or mm. you know, whatever. So I thought that that worked really, really well. Um, I mean, of course, it was it was not uh, a it was not yeah. in the original screenplay that that was the way it worked out. It, they just did that because um, Ricardo Montalban was filming Fantasy Does Island at the same time, right? And so they were trying to film his scenes. And he would do them separately, uh, so that it would fit into his other filming schedule. But it really, really works. I feel like it's a great strategy, oh, yeah. and I hope that you know, I would hope that other directors would possibly learn from that. I mean, it's been thirty-five years, and you don't see it very often. So clearly, nobody has. But it was a great strategy.
0: Yeah. It was... Several, I think, pretty kind of original things in this movie, and that was definitely one of them, and one that I didn't really even think about until I don't know many years after later that I've seen it upon subsequent viewings. Yeah, he's great, Um, he has an amazing chest. Oh, yes, yeah,
1: lots and lots of push ups. He says,
0: Oh, yeah, that was I so uh, I've been to a couple of Star Trek conventions in my lifetime. First time I ever went to one was here in Portland at the convention center, and Shatner was there. And uh, the, the whole day of the convention ended with him up on stage telling stories. And he always, he, and I'm sure he said this a billion times, but I was there in Portland when he actually talked about one of the, the questions that he has asked the most often, uh, Montalban's chest in the Rathacon. Was that real or was that like a prosthetic? Because everybody just thought it was fake. And he's like, 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's that okay. guy worked out crazy. Like that that guy worked out like a fiend all the time. That was 100% him. So, all right Anything else about Ricardo Montavon uh, or then okay. it's one of the great names to say out loud.
1: Not really. I think in the I have a feeling that you have a lot to say. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you go ahead and go.
0: Okay. All right. So, in these aren't necessarily in any particular order for me anyway. So I will say that uh, definitely one of my first favorite things is the first time that Kirk and Khan face off, you know, uh, mm-hmm. while well, not to, together physically. Kirk versus Khan round one. Um, Admiral Kirk is off on a training cruise with the new cadets that are running the, the Enterprise when they are called by Starfleet to go investigate. Uh, a space station and as they're nearing the space station they come across another star uh, another star uh federation starship the reliant and this this whole sequence is so like tension filled because at this point as an audience member you know that the reliant is reliant is also become almost becomes one of the villains right you know cuz every time they show the reliant it looks the way it's like lit and it has the red lights that on the on it that make it look like almost villainous mm-hmm. and the and the music that makes it sound that way seem that way so you know that khan is in control of the reliant now but kirk but the our heroes don't and so you just the, the tension builds as they're confused as to why they're not able to talk to anybody aboard the Reliant. but as an audience member you know you know it's coming you get come on hurry up Figure this out,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you know. There, you know, something bad's about to happen, and and it, another thing about this scene that I really like is it really shows, uh, Kirk as more than just kind of the the, the fly by the seat of your pants, uh, you know, maverick a- captain. Maverick captain, because now, by this time, you know, he's later in his career. He's Admiral Kirk, or as Colin like right. to say, Admiral Admiral <laughs> Kirk. And so it really show it shows uh well it shows him making a mistake mm-hmm. you know that all that really costs them you know as they get uh kirstie alley lieutenant savik the one and only star trek appearance by kirstie alley right you know points out oh by regulations we should raise our shields because we don't have communications with them and they're, they're kind of like ah the admiral knows what he's doing you know right and because he doesn't raise the shields they get shot up And Mm -hmm. I will say, the first time seeing this as a youngster, seeing that damage done to the Enterprise shocked the hell out of me. I was like, what is going on? That's not how this works. You know? And then so they're incapacitated. The reveal that Khan is controlling the Reliance. And then...
1: The look of shock. The look of shock.
0: And then... A deal is struck where Kirk will beam himself over to save his crew, along with the details of the Project Genesis, which is another big plot point of the movie. And this is where you see the captain, Mm -hmm. you know, not the action hero, but the captain. Right. It's his idea how they figure out how to get out of this, what seemingly is, you know, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. And just and I just the the sequence how it's filmed you know he turns to Spock and he goes keep nodding like I'm giving you orders because his mind is already turning at how to get out of this right. and it's just brilliantly filmed and um, so they there's a each starship has a combination code uh, to keep other starships from essentially logging in and running their ship you know exteriorly so they figure out what Reliance is and are able to log in and make it lower its own shields.
1: And in otherwise, in other words, do exactly what the five-digit code is designed to not let them do. Right. Uh-huh.
0: But uh, one of my favorite little, like, fun facts about this movie, so uh, the director of this movie, Nicholas Meyer, I, he wrote a memoir that I read several years ago called uh, View from the Bridge, Memoirs of Star Trek and a Life in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. super interesting. He's a fascinating guy. Um, but, so... At the, towards the end of this scene where they got everything ready to go and khan is saying okay give me the data for genesis and kirk just says here it comes filming that scene took forever because kirk kept overacting he kept saying stuff like here it comes wink you know like yeah. he was winking <laughs> at the camera almost and nicholas meyer just had to be like you know too much it's too much and this is where he figured out the key to directing shatner was to make him do a ton of takes because once you got him bored, he actually started acting good.
1: Oh. <laughs> that's really that was funny. one of
0: my favorite stories about Star Trek from Nicholas Meyer's memoir. So they, had, and took, they made him do a ton of takes until he got bored of doing them, until he, and so he finally did it right. But yeah, that whole sequence is so much fun. I it love it really every good. time it comes out. Okay, so that's, that's, that's all for that for me.
1: All right. Um, one of the other things I really like about this particular movie is the m- music and then the 80s graphics. Mm. <laughs> like, it's just great. Um, so, the opening score, obviously, is epic. I mm-hmm. mean, it is definitely one of those pieces of music that you can kind of identify from far away. You know, yeah. you just know. Um, and James Horner at the time was just an up and coming, you know, score and composer at the time. So this was still relatively new for him. And I think it's hilarious because he was told not to make a Superman score. (laughs) And there's a piece in that opening score where I was listening to it. I was like, you know what? This sounds like Superman.
0: You were saying that while we were watching it.
1: Right. I was like, this sounds like Superman. Specifically, the scene where Superman is flying Lois Lane and she's like, think talking at him. Like, it, you know, right. that background music is exactly oh. what it sounds like in there to me. Oh. I mean, not exactly, but very, very oh. close. Oh.
0: oh, young people. She's referring to Christopher Reeve Superman. Oh, yes, yes. The <laughs> good soup, yes.
1: The only Superman, really. I mean,. The only real reason to watch the later Superman, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. is entirely because you get to Wonder Woman.
0: Okay. So, um, I, won't dis- I wouldn't disagree with that.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, so I just thought that was really funny that I had said to you, hey, this sounds like Superman. And then as I'm reading about the score, the composer, that he was told specifically, don't make a Superman score.
0: That's funny. Because so. you can hear, you can definitely hear the similarities.
1: Right. Um, I also thought, it would, something that's really interesting is that, you know, this is a 113-minute movie. Mm-hmm. There are 13 minutes with no background music. And I was trying to think back to where they were, and they really did... The lack of music was almost, in and of itself, like a moment creator. Like, it enhanced mm-hmm. the scenes that they where there was no music. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, because... You know the background music is uh, the kind of unrecognized character in every scene that really makes or break it, breaks it. And he had some really strategic moments without it, so I liked that. And then I loved the graphics. I mean, now you look at them and they're entirely cheesy, but back then, you know, they were cutting edge. Oh yeah. Although I would still argue that having to show the shield. Going up and coming down with single dots going around the ship might have been. I feel like even then you might have looked at that and said, "Yeah, maybe." Yeah. Um. But I did think it was interesting that the first C se- uh, computer-generated sequence ever to be featured in a future film was in this movie. The Genesis stuff, right? Yeah, and that it was uh, the effects were done by a graphics group, which was a division of Lucasfilm, and that's who moved on and became Pixar. Oh, okay. So, and then there's other pieces of graphics in there and programming. And one of the people that was involved in that went on to um, create Adobe.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Huh.
1: So, just, I thought that was, it was interesting to, to discover those things and really realize, once again, that was actually, those graphics and, and computer... You know, all those silly little dots and everything were actually really advanced for their time.
0: It's interesting that you say that, that that's the first use of computer-generated graphics, because this movie also uses some of the oldest special effects stuff. Like when they go in the cave, the Genesis cave, like in the background, that's all a big map painting. Right. You know, which I don't think they do anymore. It's all done in a computer now. So to have both of those things, mm-hmm. kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And they um, i mean i'm sure you know more about all of like the cost-saving techniques that they did along the way in this movie oh by reusing some film from older star trek you know episodes mm-hmm. and movies but i just thought you know i laughed at the graphics and and now i have to take it back
0: yeah i remember i know that nicholas meyer talked a lot about that in his book how they because i think this they they had less budget than the first star trek movie
1: yeah
0: so oh and also one other thing i wanted to mention about the score so we got married last summer yes and at I our wedding remember. uh i made a playlist of i took tracks from various uh movie scores and made a playlist that played during the first i don't know probably half of our reception right and that opening theme to star trek II: at the wrath of was on that playlist
1: i know that okay. i remember that
0: I was just saying. Yeah. Okay.
1: I remember that you, after you put that together, which was adorable, by the way, huh. um, that we sat in the car and you played them and you were like, okay.
0: Oh, I right, made you guess what's yeah, yeah, we had this,
1: our own little, you know, trivia game, musical trivia game.
0: Okay. So, my next thing that I like a ton. Oh, gotta mention, it's gotta be this. The Kobayashi Maru (laughs) movie opens. uh, Kirstie Alley is at the command of a starship, and they go on like a rescue mission. And the Klingons attack. It's a trap, and things are destroyed. Looks like Bones has been killed. Spock is dead, and then you realize it's just a simulation. Right. And Admiral Kirk comes in. That's the big. That's the the entrance of james t kirk into the movie uh backlit and silhouette (laughs) it's great and it also becomes like a thing that gets referenced throughout the movie you know at one point kirstie alley stops kirk when they're on the enterprise and asks him you know when you took the kobayashi maru test you know what did you do you know can i ask and he said he laughs well you can ask you know the great little joke but it's still but they're still not done with it yet you know, and then it goes on to. Uh, they're trapped on, uh, inside the Genesis Cave. It mm-hmm. seems that Khan has got them. They're marooned there. Right. Right. And it leads to one of like when I was a kid and I watched this. The reveal. You know, when she finally asked him again about the Kobayashi Maru, and he reveals what he did. You know, right. he cheated. He reprogrammed the simulation so that he could win. Is and it
1: really cheating?
0: No, it's uh changing, changing the, the conditions voice. of the test. Right.
1: Exactly.
0: And he exp- and so and she said cuz he had explained to her before, you know, it's not a test that you can win, it's a test of character. How do you deal with a no-win scenario? Right. And then he reveals to her, "Well, you know what? I don't believe in no-win scenarios. <laughs> that's bullshit." And uh and that's when you reveal that uh at one point, you know, previously when they're talking on the on the, on the as he talks to Spock and says, you know, how are we doing? What's the shape of the Enterprise? And there's a coded message. Right. Right? Which, when I first saw this the first time, you know, I didn't catch it because I was a child. But now it looks super <laughs> obvious, right? But when you're watching it as a kid, and then he reveals and he goes, I don't like to lose. And he opens up the, you know, the comm and it says, Spock, it's Kirk. Are you ready? And yeah. you hear Spock go. It's been two hours. You know, yeah. and you're like, and finally you're like, what? What? <laughs> what? It just blew my mind as a kid. So the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, also, the legend about this that seek ce- that scene is that as they're filming this movie, um. Oh, spoiler alert! Spock dies. So what? What? Uh, but even back then, this film came out in 1982. Back then, pre-internet, pre you know, YouTube and Twitter and everything, it leaked that they were going to kill Spock in this movie. So the legend is that they filmed this first scene as a red herring.
1: Misdirection.
0: A misdirection, so that people who had heard that Spock was going to die, they were going to see this and go, oh, well, that's what that was about. Right. He's not actually dead. And then... But then leads to his, you know, his death scene at the end of the movie. Right. So... And then they use the kobayashi maru and the rebooted star trek right. the movies but jj abrams used it i remember finding that pretty funny
1: i thought it was really back then. funny I'm I'm there back, there. yeah to see but also what i thought was interesting was in you know the original one we just watched the wrath of khan he talks about how we got a commendation mm-hmm. for original reprogram- thinking yeah. reprogramming in original thinking and in the new reboot he almost gets kicked out of the academy for it.
0: Yeah, he was on the verge of it until you know, like crisis happens, you right.
1: know. So, I just thought like that kind of opposite parallel was really yeah. interesting.
0: And also in this one when when the reveal happens, they that they it's all been, you know, they're just waiting to hear from Spock, you know, that it was a coded message before. He's eating something and he's like he's chewing on a piece of fruit and he goes, takes a big bite. I don't like to lose. <laughs> and then in the rebooted Star Trek movie when they actually show the Kobayashi Maru test, New Kirk is actually just mowing down on a big old apple, yeah. you know, the entire time. It was just kind of—I love that that little nod in that movie was pretty, pretty funny. That but anyway, good. the Kobayashi Maru and how it like—it wasn't just the first scene; it was referenced and was actually foreshadowing mm-hmm. just how it was used throughout. One of my favorite things.
1: It was really good. All right, number three. Mm-hmm. So my number three was, of course. Spock's death. Yeah. The death scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just an excellent... It is an excellent scene. It's very emotional. Um, it is... I mean, it's just... It, it's really, really well done. And, you know, watching it going, oh, wow, it's so good. Um, and then discovering that that scene was written, like, line by line, down to the... Even the, um, like staging, mm-hmm. right, of the people by William Shatner
0: Really? Yeah Huh, I didn't know that I know, I, I was like that at all.
1: I am very very impressed by that, so yeah so he wrote that scene and even all, did all the staging and blocking for that and I thought that was really really cool, like then, yeah. that's when I was like, oh so he really is an actor, you know, like he mm-hmm. gets it um, but I love it. Um, I love his emotional, like, you know, just speaking to Spock, you know, he's almost in, like, you can kind of hear the catch in his voice as mm-hmm. he says, Spock. Um, and it takes three people to hold him back when he gets down there. Which is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. <laughs> the is third guy says, isn't necessary. All you see is the third guy's hair. Yeah. Because he's grabbing him by the waist. Um... But, you know, once you get, once they get to the side of the glass, you know, that you just see it, it becomes very emotional mm-hmm. and Spock is distinguished and, and oh, proper, yes. even in death as he stands up and he straightens his uniform mm-hmm. and then he walks back and he runs into the, the glass Like and you realize that, he's that, blind.
0: That has become my favorite little part of the death scene Yeah, where he just you know walks forward until he hits the glass that's just i almost wonder i've always wanted to know Was i mean was uh, maybe shatner came up with that or did maybe namoy come up with that on his own i've always wanted to wonder where that little bit came from because it's really uh, it really gets me for some reason yeah
1: it's just it's so powerful and then him you know speaking to kirk and you know you have been my friend and then you know sliding down down. and turning around and dying. And and then Kirk echoing that and sliding down and turning around, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting down. You know, it just was a really really good scene. It's very emotional. Even now, 35 years later, you know, you still look at it and you're like, wow. Um, and then I just really like the the phrase that he's really not dead as long as we remember him. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that is just so meaningful beyond... You know that movie don't that's something that is just you know could uh connect to anybody who is struggling with loss you know that um that person is really not dead as long as you remember them
0: yeah and yeah okay
1: so you're number three my number
0: three and this is gonna sound like i'm cheating
1: you probably are
0: i probably am no but i'm gonna get a commendation for original thinking Alright, so my fa- <laughs> do you think? so I'm just gonna say because I just had so hard a time trying to pick out something from when Khan activates the Genesis device to detonate. You no, know, they've uh, mm-hmm. they've had the they have had their ship battle and they think that day is won, right? And then Khan activates the Genesis device to detonate until Spock's death. That entire section of movie. <laughs> Is so great. So it starts off. He sets. So it intercuts between Khan, like quoting some classic literary work, which he does throughout the movie. Right. He's all bloody, dying. Sets it to detonate. It's on a timer. They realize that this has happened. If there's no warp speed. Got to get us out of here. Best possible speed. So the ship's turning around, trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Limping along. Limping away. At this point. You sit, the camera goes to Spock and Spock sits up in his chair and realizes and then runs down to the engine room, right? And so now there's like three things that it intercuts between. Khan dying on his ship, looking out the viewport at the Enterprise trying to get away, going, no, you can't get away. <laughs> to, um, <laughs> to, uh, to, to Spock in the engine room, like, you know, just getting dosed with who knows how much radiation, trying to fix the ship. Right and to the bridge where no one has noticed Spock leaving and just it's just so tension filled is everybody's like you know are we can you know are the, we going to make it are we going to get away from this massive explosion that we know is coming can we get far enough away you know and the music like the score the score is per is it, it's so perfect how it just drives each mm-hmm. moment as it cuts between you know Spock quoting Moby Dick right. you know as to he's dying
1: also quoting Moby Dick
0: what's what I meant to Khan quoting Moby Dick you know like I spit, at I spit at thee with yeah my last breath and whatever I can't think of it now you know and uh Spock having to, having to do the nerve pinch on McCoy so they can go into whatever the chamber is and fix the ship mm-hmm. they're all shouting no Spock no and then my favorite little bits is um shows Kirk sitting at the captain's chair arms crossed and he goes time for my mark and this is just all edited perfectly and it's like Sulu says you know how many how much number amount of time that that's been so many minutes distance from Reliance so many thousand kilometers Chekhov says and then it cuts back to Kirk who just turns and looks at David you know his son who's also one of the scientists who developed Genesis not a word is said he just looks at him and David looks back and just really solemnly shakes his head no Like, it's obvious that David's saying, not even close or be far enough away. Yeah. You know. And everyone's just... And everybody is sweating. There's sweat rolling down. Everyone's face is shiny with sweat. Everyone's stressed to the max until Spock gets whatever it is that needs to be fixed. Fixed. Right. And they hit the gas. And Enterprise hits warp speed as the explosion happens. And it's just all... Just fits together. So perfectly up until and then into the just the beautifully beautiful uh, spock death scene right that entire section of the movie like uh if it comes on cable you know if if i if you know if it comes on cable it's hard that i'm not going to turn it off anyway right <laughs> but if, once it gets to that part of the movie i'm definitely not turning it off i am <laughs> in until it is over so yeah that whole sequence from from that point until the end is just i don't know it's just perfect almost anyway
1: i don't i think it's good i don't know why you think that you would be cheating It is
0: because that's a big section of the movie to just say this is it's almost as if i said so from midway through the movie To the end is one of my favorite (laughs) parts. You know, that's an exaggeration, but that's what I was worried about when I, when I said that. That I feel like I might be cheating because I was taking just a big chunk of movie.
1: Right, but it's a good sequence, so I understand.
0: Okay, well, thank
1: you. Although you have now covered most of the movie with your, I really like this introductory sequence here of Con of of the first like reveal of Con and the Reliant and Mm -hmm. Enterprise interacting. Oh, and I really like everything that involves the Kobayashi and Maru. <laughs> oh, and I love this last. It's a quarter of the movie. I think you might have covered almost all 113 minutes of the movie.
0: I didn't cover anything about Kirk's birthday, I left that alone.
1: You did. That is correct. So, well wow. done. Well See, done. See, I
0: show restraint, that's what <laughs> that is. All right. Well, I guess uh, now that we've done our three favorite parts or things, is there anything about this movie you didn't care for so much? It's. Gosh. It was tough. I mean, I thought of a couple of nitpicky things, but it's. I don't know. I just. I love this movie to death. So it's. Yeah. I mean,
1: it is really, really good. It's hard to find, you know, things that I didn't like about it. Mm hmm. Um. I mean, obviously, I'm not a huge fan of slimy things crawling into ears, so that would definitely <laughs> gross me out. That um, freaked
0: me out so much as a kid.
1: Yeah, so you know, but Ugh. but it still was a great part of the movie. It was just yeah. my personal like, ew, right? Um, piece of the movie. But then, yeah, I I don't know that there were a ton of things that I didn't like. Other than the awkward flirting between Kirk and Kirstie yeah. Alley's character Salik, like I just thought. That was it was supposed little... to be flirting? Apparently, huh. I don't know if it. But that was the piece. Like, was it flirting or was it not flirting? You couldn't quite tell, and that was what was so awkward about it.
0: Yeah, I put. The... I didn't really things I really didn't like. I guess these are more like you know I. I wish if they in a perfect world, they could have done a couple of things. Uh, so, like, you know, Khan actually has some some minions. You know, he has right. some henchmen's, henchwomen's, and they one of them gets to speak. Yeah, Not, only one. Only one of them. And so if they would have given something for his people to do other than just stand behind him, right. that would have been kind of neat. Um,
1: Although, to be fair, in the remake, you know... They don't
0: even wake up. Ah, that's true. <laughs> also, apparently, all the all those guys, Trippendales dancers. I saw that. that.
1: That made me laugh.
0: Also, um, speaking of giving people more to do, uh, Nichelle Nichols, mm-hmm. whom we've met. We have. Our good personal friend, Nichelle Nichols.
1: We have photographic evidence that of we've that. Met
0: her. Yes, indeed. You know, this movie is really a kirk and spock movie right i mean they give bones a little bit to do everyone else is really very right. minimal so i mean it's such a good story though i you know i don't know how adding other things made it may take away from the prime story but still what made star trek so great was the crew right. right the whole crew so giving those other crew members something more to do would have been would have been you know would have been nice i guess the only really things that I really have.
1: Right. Well, I mean, like, Chekhov is now first mate of, you know, the number, like, number one of Uh, another ship. Right. You know.
0: He's not even a crew member of the Enterprise in this movie.
1: Right. Spock has been elevated to, like, training of new recruits. But apparently Sulu and, um, and, uh now, of course, I'm blanking on her name, Uhura, no. Uhura, are doing the exact same thing. Like, no promotions whatsoever in whatever it is they're doing. hmm You know? And so that, that kind of sucks. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bones is still a doctor, but, I mean, you can only... Right that's fine i mean like you would expect doctors i guess he be could be sur- surgeon general or whatever guess, exists right. but at that point. You know, but he's still a doctor doing his yeah. job and that's really good um but yeah it just was it's a little disappointing that uhura and uh, and sulu have not like been promoted at all
0: <laughs> yeah or maybe they have and they're just coming along for the training voyage i don't know it's not really explained right so Right? anything else about that about that section
1: Mm-mm. no i don't think so
0: okay well uh, there is a million fun facts that we could talk about in regards to this movie right we've a already ton.
1: mentioned a ton just in explaining our three favorites i know so i'm gonna limit you
0: okay
1: you may have three
0: all right let's see uh, one of the things i found interesting is that this movie officially set the og star trek timeline in the 23rd century like that was not an official thing until this movie the, huh. the original series it was never mentioned for sure when it was taking place in the future like what century what year like roddenberry had a it could be anywhere between this century, the 22nd and 30th century right you know there's not and in this movie starts off there are words that say in the twenty third century, right. so that's where that happens in this movie, which I didn't know until we did our start doing a little research before the podcast. Um, this movie was so they took an episode from the original series mm-hmm. that they got the story from. Khan was a character in an episode called Space Seed. Right. So they talk about all that history. You can go see all that history if you go track down that original
1: episode.
0: series episode. One of the uh. Biggest pieces of continuity error. So Chekhov and Khan, you know, they meet in the beginning of the movie, right? And Khan says, you know, he sees Chekhov's I never captain. I, never, face. I don't know you, but he sees Chekhov. But you, I never forget a face, Mr. Chekhov. Space Seed aired before Walter Koenig made his first appearance on Star Trek. Ooh. He is not seen in that episode at all. So how Khan saw Chekhov's face to remember
1: will forever remain
0: a mystery. Yeah. I guess they actually tried to explain it away in the novelization of this movie. Oh, but, really? Yeah. But, and also, there's some many. Um, so Khan mentions his wife in this movie, how she died from the space slug things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you watch Space Seed, who he's referring to is a woman who is actually a lieutenant on the Enterprise that he seduces and comes with him when Kirk exiles him to that planet.
1: Well, apparently it was true love. It wasn't just a seduction for our purposes.
0: Well, according to IMDb, seduction.
1: I don't... I'm just saying. It was more (laughs) than just a one-time seduction. He then fell in love with her and married her.
0: But the the actress who played her was actually... Originally, they were going to see about having her be in the movie, too, and bring her back. Mm -hmm. But she, uh, unfortunately, uh, stricken with multiple sclerosis. Yeah.
1: And was wheelchair bound.
0: Wheelchair bound. yeah so unfortunately they just said that she died right yeah also spock's death was supposed to have been permanent he was he wanted out i did know
1: that and then he changed his mind because
0: he had so much wow. enjoyed making this movie so much that he asked about coming back somehow right and that's where that quick little mind melds with bones and he goes remember have you have you ever seen Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock?
1: I feel like it's also something I watched as a child. It's not I've great. I've got lots of like images from mm. it, but I don't know if it's just that I've seen parts of it enough to think that I've seen it. Right. But it's been a while. I I can honestly say that in my you know formative science fiction like loving years, no, I have not sat down and watched watched it in well. its entirety.
0: I don't imagine we'll probably do it for this podcast, so this is what I'll say about Star Trek Three. I didn't see it until after I had seen Back to the Future, and in Star Trek Three, The Search for Spock, the villainous Klingon is played by Christopher Lloyd. So I watched that movie, I watched that movie going, Doc Brown is a Klingon, and I just couldn't take it seriously.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I have seen scenes with him as a Klingon, so yes. But I don't think I've seen the whole
0: thing. So. Okay. So I think we're done with Star Trek Two. That's good, though. Love that movie. But hey, speaking of sequels and movies from the 80s, next week, I believe, is Blade Runner.
1: I think it is. The Blade
0: Runner sequel. Blade Blade Runner Runner 2049. 2049. I always forget the number. Yeah. So So. I believe that's the plan, is next week we'll be doing that movie. Um, until then, thanks everybody for listening. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Republic on your Android devices. If you ever want to, if you have any thoughts about Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, or any of our other movies, you want to recommend a beer for us to have as we're doing this, that'd be great. You can email us at ddkpodcastinggmail.com. At
1: I would say it would be really awesome if people would. Send us beers to try. Yeah. Uh, even today, I was starting to mention that we're, I don't know that I've done a, the same brewer too many times, like in, in a row or twice, but I so, would love to have some new um, recommendations.
0: I know, me too. So feel free, please send us an email. Give us an idea of what uh, good recommendations for us to try some stuff.
1: The hoppier, the better.
0: Or the darker, super dark motor oil motor oil dark
1: a really good black ipa is also awesome
0: that's true those are good too okay well until next week when we're going to talk some blade runner this is dustin
1: and i'm Lakeisha.
0: and until next week
1: go see a movie
0: thanks everybody